Konnichiwa, this is Erica. Hey everyone, this is Freen, and we're smashing the patriarchy one episode at a time. listening to Super Smash Hose. Today we are joined by Nina, the founder beh- the founder of Hopper Ladies. Welcome Nina. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be on this podcast with you guys because I've been following you guys for a while. Um yeah, uh, my name is Nina. Um I'm Japanese and American. Um and I am the founder of Hopper Ladies. So can you tell us, before we get into it, a little bit about what Hafu Ladies is and why you created this community? Yeah, so maybe some people don't know what Hafu means, so I'll start from there. So Hafu is a term that's used in Japan for people who are mixed-race Japanese, who are typically half-Japanese. Um, it used to be a bit more of a derogatory term, but now it's a, it's a word that we take pride in and use it to uh, bind our community together. So um, Hafu Ladies is a community for women and female identifying people who are also mixed race Japanese. And um, the, I created it about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. And it stemmed from the fact that there are quite a few Hafu communities on Facebook online. Um, however, none of them are uh, all women. There's one that's a little bit more social, but I wanted to dive deeper into the the identities that bind us together. So I created Hafu Ladies out of that idea, uh, wanting to connect with other women, wanting to talk about issues that we can talk about in a more safe space just for for ourselves. So that's how it was created. I'm in a few of those Facebook groups myself. And yeah, I've never seen one that was specifically for um, people who identify as women. So I think that's really cool. And, you know, there are, I think, issues that you'll um, speak about that are specific and unique to women um, in the in this community. So that's really cool that you made this. Yeah, definitely. And it's it it sort of started off with more of a social gathering space like any of the other ones did but now we have a really solid um um, solid pillars in place which is to educate embrace and empower so we've really been working with those three pillars sticking to our values and delivering workshops and events to our community members who speak uh, that speak to those values that we uphold which has been really really fun and really great so You know, um, I think talking about community building is really interesting because we live in an age where community building a lot, I think traditionally we think about it as happening in person, Um, but pre-COVID or even because of COVID, I'm sure a lot of your um, activities have moved online. So what exactly does the Half the Ladies community look like? Yeah, um, so when we first started, it really was a about once a month, once every two months, grabbing brunch together or drinks, dinner, that sort of social hangout. Mm -hmm. And um, it could only happen in Tokyo because I'm in Tokyo. 
And um, after about a year of doing that, it just came to a point where we had so many members in our online community who aren't physically in uh, nowhere in near Tokyo. And I felt like it was time for others to be able to join in on more of the off offline or just not not just like the online forum aspect of it. So um, and then right as we were thinking about that COVID happened. So it was kind of a blessing in that sense that we were almost forced to do events online. Um, but that actually really sparked a lot more ideas and allowed us to um, connect more with our members, collaborate with other members, and deliver um, different types of events. So some of them, for example, uh, for a while we were doing once a week, uh, weekly yoga. Uh, we have a gal in the community who is a yoga instructor. So we would have every morning, every Wednesday morning yoga session, um, and that brought a lot of us close together. Um, we also recently held a panel discussion around LGBTQIA plus uh, issues. Um, and uh, we've done a workshop uh, with a community member who uh, is a, holds a PhD in linguistics. So she taught us about the uh, connection between uh, racial identity and language. Um, things like that. So, and we've done like belly dancing class um, and just a lot of fun things as well. And journal writing, <laughs> I could go on for a while. But um, yeah, and uh, the community itself, we have 860 members on the Facebook group right now. So it's really, really, really growing. And most of them were uh, members who joined just this year. So in the last seven months, which has been really great to see how the community has grown immensely. That's amazing. It like fills my heart to know that these kinds of communities can like take root and they resonate with people. And I think more than anything, the fact that they resonate. Um, quick question. Mm -hmm. Do you think now that things have moved more online because, you know, the Japanese, I don't know if this is the right word, but like the Hafu diaspora isn't limited to Japan, right? I mean, Hafus will live wherever, right. they'll live in Japan, but they'll also live wherever their other half or, you know, other places even beyond that are. So has moving mm -hmm. online uh, helped you at all increase, and maybe you don't know because the analytics might be hard to dig up on this, but have you been able to see greater engagement from the half of the community outside of Japan? As there's, I know outside of Tokyo, you said you have, but. Yeah, well, interesting, actually, interesting enough, most of our members are from uh, the United States, about nearly nearly half the members um, looking at the analytics are in the in the United States and then next to that is Japan and then after that is UK, and then Germany and by the time it gets to Germany it's like 20 people but <laughs> um, but so the majority I think um, resonate I, I guess I don't know that yes the Hafu community and diaspora are all are everywhere in the world but I think it's something that people speak a lot about in Japan, obviously, but also in uh, the United States where there was such a huge influence of Japanese people. Have you noticed specific differences in Hafu identities based on where maybe someone is located or even struggles and how they differ based on if, you know, you're a Hafu in Japan versus a Hafu in the U.S.? And do you want to speak about any of those? Yeah, I think... The most interesting aspect actually comes from the language that we're comfortable speaking in. Um, so there's about 
maybe about a dozen or so different Hafu groups that exist just on Facebook itself. And some of them are fully operated in Japanese. Uh, some of them are fully operated in English. And I do my best to try to make Hafu ladies as bilingual as possible, but that's not always possible because some of our um, members don't speak or read and write Japanese, more so than people who don't speak and read, read or write English. Um, so I think in that sense, like there's already a cultural shift or difference in how we navigate around the, around, around the world because of the language that we use. Um, and when I, and I'm, I'm in all of the different Hafli groups, and it is really interesting to see how different the topics are in the fully Japanese operated group versus the one, ones that are more English focused. Um, and so I guess what, what comes out of that, what I noticed um, with like the Japanese groups are more of the internal or internal domestic domestic struggles or the people who are in Japan who have, who maybe the, you know, the thing is with Hafu people, people assume that the stereotype a lot of times is someone who is bicultural, bilingual, most often uh, half white. And these are all just complete stereotypes. The reality is there's a lot of, Hafus who are monolingual, um, who may only know one of their parents. Um, and a lot of times there's, there are a lot of them in Japan and that's already a complex uh, struggle of identity that they need to deal with. And because of only speaking Japanese but not looking fully Japanese, they have um, a lot more, I don't wanna say a lot more issues, but very uh, Japan-based issues that are very much focused on in these more of the Japanese groups. And of course, like they hang out and understand each other and stuff as well. But I don't know if that really answered the question, but it is really interesting to see how differently the culture, the language uh, changes how we deal with our identity as well and the understanding of it. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And on that note of um, there being, you know, half is that, and, and I think the, majority of people when they envision a hafu they envision your stereotypical half japanese half white hafu mm -hmm. um and this idea that you brought up mm -hmm. um of you know biracial hafus who are who are not white but are from other mm -hmm. ethnicities um and do you ever notice a specific higher hierarchy within um either japanese society or abroad of of different hafu identities yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately and absolutely. Um, for example, in the United States, there are uh, Nisei, Sansei, you know, second, third, fourth generation Japanese people. And the Japanese American community is very, very tight knit. Um, it is a community that I don't feel like I belong in because I don't identify as Japanese American, first of all. But um, a lot of uh, members, not all, but a lot of members are uh, fully Japanese, but fully American, right? That makes sense. Um, and so half, half Japanese person doesn't, sometimes will feel welcome, but not always will feel welcomed or not always will feel like they fit, fit in. And I've heard this from a few of my uh, friends who are Hafu, who are American also. Um, and yeah, and I've, and I've heard of people saying they feel like they, they, the hierarchy within the Japanese American community, for example, where Hafus don't 
fit into the, the top ranks, I guess. <laughs> and then um, same thing in Japan is, is you have the stereotypical white hafu or the idolized ones. And uh, unfortunately, I think that's like, as I am white hafu, I sometimes very ashamed and embarrassed about that. Um, but because of that, I use my voice to try to speak up about this. Um, but yeah, and um, a lot of black hafus, a lot of um, Asian hafus, the quote unquote invisible hafus, they go through completely different um, struggles, completely different bullying styles that they've had to experience in their lifetime. I was just going to say, yeah, that reminds me of, you know, I think growing up, I, even though I myself um, also hafu, um, um, being, you know, Japanese, American, German, um, I didn't realize the privilege I have, um, or, you know, I had and ha- still have, especially when I was younger, um, because there were times when, you know, I also felt um, discriminated against. But then again, like there's, like you said, there's like a hierarchy within Hafus and, you know, meeting people who are um, some of my friends being like half Chinese or, you know, mm-hmm. half Korean. And they're, of course, hafu, um, you know, culturally or um, ethnically, I guess. But like you said, they're, you know, invisible. People don't recognize them as hafu. So it's very, very, you know, the mold is so small and narrow, mm-hmm. like you said. Yeah. And, and this is a topic that's really come about, again, recently with you know, so much racial tension all over the world, including Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I was recently talking about with one of my friends is that there's not a lot of, of um, representation of hafus in the media who aren't half-white models mm-hmm. or newscast members who are usually typically very, very, you know, model-like um, people. Um, uh, I remember growing up, there's this kids TV show called Tensai Terebikun, and they often had, um, hafu kids on the show, but they were like all half white kids. And so imagine that for kids who are hafu and a lot, a lot of them, of course, not just white hafus and they don't see themselves on TV. Um, I think that's, that's really tough. Um, I've had a friend of of mine who's half Chinese American Japanese and when I first met her she's like I'm not like real I'm not a real hafu because she mm-hmm. negated herself and said she's not really hafu because she's Asian hafu and, and that um that was like eye-opening to me and I was like oh that sucks because you sh- obviously you're still hafu you're part of the community you know <laughs> so it's so interesting that you say that you know especially the aspect about the modeling. Um, and I don't know if this is the right mm-hmm. word to use, but I noticed a, a fetishized, a fetishized, fetish, I can't say this word, too many S's mm-hmm. and Z's, fetishization <laughs> of um, particularly white, white Japanese hafus. I mean, every ad that you see on a Tokyo train is, you know, a beautiful, you know, white Japanese hafu, but there are beautiful Japanese people, beautiful other mixed race Japanese people, and they're never, you know, seen in the same way. Um, and I think 
you know, uh, there was a, a girl I saw on my Instagram and it was a, a while ago. She's a, she's a, um, African-American and Japanese hafu. And she had posted, um, about an ad on a Tokyo train that was basically targeting black women's hair and talking about how black women's hair is ugly. And she said, well, as a hafu who is, you know, half black and who has this type of hair, this is like so insulting to me that I, it's, it's considered non-Japanese to have this type of hair. It's considered not pretty. Um, and there is just this obsession with hafus who are half white as models. I, one of my friends who's hafu, he always jokes. He's like, oh, like any good hafu, I have my headshots that I use as my Tinder profile because, you know, I'm a model. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it, it is, it is a, it is a thing, I think, especially after, like, post, post-World War II, um, with the U.S. occupation, I, I mean, we know, like, the history goes on, and, like, the way Japan kind of looks up to the Western uh, front as still kind of what they idolize, um, it is unfortunate, I think. Um, and yeah, it's something that really makes me uncomfortable. Like I get it from my, my own family, my, um, my great aunts who are in their eighties and nineties, every time I see them, every time they say, Oh, you're, you're Bijin, you're beautiful because you're Hafu. Oh, you look nothing like your mom. You're beautiful. Which I think is so insulting. And also I look exactly like my mom. So they're like refusing to see that I look just like my Japanese mom because they want to believe that I'm not Japanese, you know? Um, I still get asked at New Year's by my aunts and uncles if I can use chopsticks. And it's, maybe they're joking, but, and I've kind of gotten over it, but my mom was really pissed off one year, was upset with my uncle for saying that. And I was like, way to go, mom. Like thank you for sticking up for me, you know, um, because these comments, especially coming from your own family, can be very hurtful as well. Um, a lot of Japanese people don't realize that, that them fetishizing these kinds of hafus or mixed race people, and especially white people, they don't understand how harmful that is more than complimentary they are being. So. Yeah, it feeds into a, you know, a, a, Western exceptionalism or like Western white superiority complex, which I think is unintentional, but it perpetuates the idea that being white is the best thing to be. Um, I want to go back and, you know, I probably should have asked this question way earlier, uh, but we'll address it now. So Hafu Ladies is unique in that it's a community for, you know, Hafus, but also Hafus who identify as women. So, you know, using that lens of intersectionality, how is how is being half both the gender and a social issue? Like, can you talk a little bit more about why there's a necessity for a community um, that is based on both gender and that ethnic racial um, mixed identity? I think as women, um, we obviously clearly um, experience things in life differently than men. Um, and one aspect is the fetishization. And I think as half Japanese women, as mixed race Asian women, regardless of whatever that other mix is, even if it's fully Asian mix, you're getting fetishized by the West for being Asian. 
you're getting fetishized by Japan for being mixed race. So that already puts you in this place where people see you as this object, um, for one thing. And I think there needs to be spaces where women can stand together in solidarity to, to remind each other that we're more than just whatever face we have. Um, and more than just whatever, and it is, it is a community that's more than just our identity of just, of, of our racial and female identity. But, um, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it just is so important to have somewhere where women can come together and talk about issues that men just simply do not understand, have never had to face. Um, I think in Japan, since women are still considered a marginalized community and minorities compared to men, because it, it is a, a patriarchal society, um, that there needs to and and if we're viewed as foreigners, that's also a double whammy of minorities as well. So in that sense, um, we also need to stick together and be there, support for each other, and be able to. Um, you know, talk about issues that come up in a safe space. Um, we face um, sexism, we face racism, and a lot of times they come together because we are women <laughs> and because we're mixed race. Yeah, so it's just important. And, and, and like having basically people who are sisters to you in this community to help empower you, to support you, those who empathize with you, um, is so much so powerful in itself like um, you know I have male friends my father um, there are a lot of guys in my life who are incredible feminists who are incredible support systems my my partner everyone um, and I appreciate how supportive they are but it's just so different from when that comes from my uh, support comes from my girlfriends or support comes from Hafu ladies have you have you heard about um, kind of going back to this idea of being viewed as an object that you mentioned at the beginning of your answer? Have you heard about and I don't know too much about it. Sorry, I keep saying that um, the alt right obsession with Asian women. This is particularly happened in America. Okay, well, I won't get uh. I won't get too into it. It's something I skimmed an article on and I thought was really interesting and I you know I bookmarked it as further reading because it was really cool but it was this um article about how the alt-right in the u.s is it basically has a fetishization obsession with uh asian women based on the stereotype that asian women are the perfect model of a submissive passive wife um and the harmful narrative that that perpetuates for then half asian children um but i myself I'm not going to, like, I, I read one article. I'm not going to sit here and, like, try to explain it to everyone because I really didn't read that much into it, but I hope to. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, going back to that, like, viewing women as objects idea, I thought it was a really interesting um, trope, and it's not a new trope, right? Like, we've heard that trope about Asian women time and time again, but it's, an, I guess, somewhat new version of it about how the alt-right in, um, in the U.S., is really fetishizing Asian women. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I'll have to read about that as well. Um, yeah, it's it's also 
I just thought about how it's not all, it's not just like objectifying women too, or um, seeing us as this submissive thing, but like, it's almost like we're not, well, we're not taken seriously. And that's like really hyper, hyper intense in Japan. Um, when I, when they ask me where I'm from and I say I'm from Tokyo, a lot of times they laugh. And when I tell them I'm Japanese, they laugh. And if like, in like, I've had times when I'm with like my male partner or with my guy friends, and then the people will turn to them and like confirm to, to ask them if she's, she, as in I'm telling the truth. And if they say, yes, she's Japanese or yes, she's from Tokyo, then finally people are like, okay, I believe you. And I, it's just so insulting. Yeah. And my, my existence isn't a joke, you know, my, who, I don't know, why would, maybe I'm just too serious, but why would I joke about where I'm from or all that kind of stuff when I'm literally saying it with like a serious face or just like answering their questions seriously? I don't know. So, so yeah, there's a lot of not being taken seriously, uh, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in just social settings um, or traveling around Japan or something. There's so many stories like that. And um, if there's a safe space to vent about it, if there's a safe space where you can make friends to talk about it, it is Haku Ladies. And um, most of my best friends are through the group. And it's been so, 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 so awesome to be able to find those friends that I can relate to who we can relate to each other and really be supportive of each other. Do you get the, uh, do you speak Japanese really well for a foreigner um, comment a lot? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you're Nihongo Josu desu ne. You know, your Japanese is so good. Um, I usually say, it's my mother tongue. Your Japanese is so good. <laughs> um, but then they also think it's a joke. And I'm like, well, I'm just saying literally what you said to me. I'm a Japanese person too. But yeah, um, yeah that, um, one of the things that actually really uh, I don't, I personally get annoyed with is uh, the menu thing. Um, and I think it's a very layered issue because I get it from both. I, I understand the stance from both cultures. Japanese restaurant, you go in, you look like a foreigner. They give you an English menu without you having to ask and that's Japanese omotenashi reading the situation and acting upon it meanwhile that to me is hurtful I wish they would ask me would you like a Japanese menu or an English menu and then be able to have that choice as a customer but um, maybe that's western thinking I'm not sure um, but yeah so I see where the clash of the cultures happen when um, when there are that when microaggressive situations occur in Japan um most of the time it's it's coming from a genuinely either ignorant place or just a kind place and it just sometimes rubs some people in the wrong way if you get it one too many times so yeah I mean I can completely relate to yeah what you said um yeah it's just despite knowing that things, you know, a lot, most of the times people say these things from a ignorant and kind of kind hearted place, you know, of course, if you facing these microaggressions every day, you know, being told that you're an outsider, a foreigner, where you grew up is a lot to deal with for sure. So, yeah. 
the person who says these comments or makes these actions for them it might be something they do once a month when a pafu customer foreigner looking customer comes in but for us it's something we literally deal with sometimes mm -hmm. on a daily basis and yeah. people don't see that they only see the side that they're doing so it's it's really interesting when i think about putting myself in the other person's shoes and like you know, if I were to lose, lose it there and yell or something, which I wouldn't do, but if I just, just happen to get it one too many times in one day, um, to them, they might just think, oh my gosh, like she's, oh my gosh, why is she so mad? But if you look at it from someone who has to deal with this constantly, you can see why they would be upset. So always, yeah, it's, it, I think communication is key when, when it comes to these kinds of things. For sure. I, something just came to my mind. I think you were, you mentioned something about like, you know, um, you get these microaggressions when you travel within Japan as well. And personally, I, I haven't traveled a lot inside Japan, but I've noticed that in Tokyo, I guess, because of, you know, there's a lot more, I guess, foreigners, living in Tokyo and so consequently there's a lot of hafu people living here too compared to a lot of other cities in Japan so um I found that you know I would get stared at a lot more when I go to like Osaka or Kyoto or you know somewhere else outside of Tokyo and I just had this very different experience so even with Japan there's a lot of you know I think living in Tokyo there are certain um kind of I wouldn't say privileges or maybe but um different you know different types of discrimination even within one country yeah and that's a really interesting um aspect as well because as a travel writer I've traveled all over Japan um and for me personally I've found the rural parts of Japan to be a lot more a lot more um what's the word um like they're able to see see through me in terms of how i look like they're able to accept me as a human being as a welcome me as a person um and i think it goes to me i think it goes to the fact that yes tokyo is really international and also used to having tourists and used to having people who are foreigners who some a lot don't speak or read japanese so they're going to deal with a lot of us here as tourists or foreigners. But when you go to the rural parts, to Inaka, like uh, initially they might see me and freak out or they just even don't, They may, maybe some of them have never even met someone who looks like a foreigner. So they just speak Japanese anyways. And uh, they just treat me like any other person they meet on the street or any other person they're serving in their little mom and pop restaurant. So I've actually really found... Um, a lot more comfort and acceptance in rural parts of Japan and the the local people I've met in those places. Wow, that's really nice to hear. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't yeah. have expected that. Um, yeah, and I guess also maybe Tokyo, yeah, like you said, so there are so many tourists and I guess the nature of, you know, just this like it being so cosmopolitan and kind of like this huge city can, there can be you know um people can sometimes be a bit quick to judge you know you Definitely. by how you look and superficial 
Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. Yeah. Really interesting. Um, you know, a lot of these issues that the, like the microaggressions and, you know, viewing Hafus as tourists, I feel like a lot of this misunderstanding because as we said, a lot of it is, you know, not purposefully insidious. It's, it's, it's accidental or it's just a lack of awareness. And my brain automatically goes to, okay, well, what's the solution? Is the solution more representation of, of half of people or half of individuals, half of women? And I think, well, we do have representation of that, not good representation. I'm not saying by any means that it's good representation. You know, it's representation that fetishizes them and objectifies them as models or pretty people. But I wonder what good representation of halfus would look like. I think in recent years, uh, obviously with the rise of Naomi Osaka, for example, Ariana Miyamoto, Priyanka, Yoshikawa, um, there are a lot of women, Hafu women, who are stepping into roles that are different from the typical models and such, uh, which I think is really great. Um, at the same time, all of these women, they want won something they win something they're champions and that's why they're up on a pedestal and japan likes them or talks about them in the case of like ariana for example but i think what's missing is just people in daily life like there are so many just normal people who just happen to be hafu which is something that's really missing. Like, it seems like you have to do something great. You have to be recognized for something in order to, um, in, in order to be Hafu. And what does that tell people? What does that tell kids that they're, they, they have to be like the number one in something? I don't know. Maybe that's a little extreme, but I think, um, for example, I know Terrace House, for, for example, has gotten a lot of backlash in recent months and understandably so and unfortunately so I personally don't watch the show um, never have but I do know that there have been quite a few um, hafus on there and as well as uh, foreign uh, residents who speak Japanese and such so I think that's really that that is actually good representation finally of just typical young adults teenagers whatnot who also happen to be um, mixed race or international or speak a different language um, so those kinds of things I think really need to happen, you know, seeing more people like that on Japanese TV drama um, and things like that. On that note, you know, speaking about children, I think not that bullying stops when we leave school, but a lot of this starts in school. So, you know, in terms of the Hafu ladies community, um, what what kind of reach do you have with a younger audience? Are you guys more focused um, on like an older, you know, youth, um, older youth and young adult uh, population? Or um, do you also do mentorship programs and, you know, your events, are they also separately targeted towards younger girls? Or do you try to keep it, you know, broad based, you know, not discriminating based on age or anything like that? So first off, um, since the community is on Facebook, if you're old enough to have Facebook, you can join the group. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people, for some reason, think that a group for Hafu people can only be this like millennial age, which really upsets me. Um, I've had, uh, I, and we do have members who are in their 70s, 60s, 50s, um, our senpais, we call them. Um, and I think that like, 
having intergenerational conversations is so important. And, and like it, your mixed raceness doesn't change by age. Maybe your interaction with it changes, but like you're not going to suddenly wake up at age 70 and not be Hafu. So anyway, so I really, it makes me really sad when I hear uh, the older women say, oh, but I'm too old to be in the group. So I really, really, really hope some people will listen to this and um, and understand that we want it to be so diverse in terms of age, in terms of race, in terms of sexual orientation, in terms of language, whatever it is, like we're open as long as you're a female identifying or non-binary, but the society sees you as women, you know, like so many different ways you can identify as this, this gender, gender fluid thing. Um, so yeah, so that's one aspect in terms of the community we have online. Um, but I have been trying to start a mentorship program because I think for younger girls, because I think that is really, really important. And um, I do have quite a few um, acquaintances here who have half Japanese girls, daughters. Um, and so a few months ago, we hosted like an online dance class where the girls could join which was really fun. Um, and afterwards, um, I stayed on the Zoom with uh, two of the girls who are about, I think about 11 now. And I've met them in person before, I know their moms. And we just, they like ate their dinner in front of me on Zoom. And we just talked about movies and what music they're listening to. And it, it was really great because they were, they're able to hang out and connect with someone who is like themselves, but older. Um, but not have to just talk about let's you know it's not just like let's talk about your hafu identity it's more like just hanging out and I think those kinds of role models for any girls is so important um, so I'm really hoping to turn that that dream of having a mentorship program into something that's more solid um, I really do hope that we can do more ongoing workshops ongoing sort of you know anything from I don't know, journaling class together or just a hangout at the park, that sort of stuff. Um, I think there, there's a lot of, um, there, there's a lot of value in young half Japanese, young mixed race girls in Japan or anywhere in the world to be able to see someone like themselves who are 10, 20 years older than them, 10, 20, 30, 40 years older than them. Than them. Yeah, that's so cool. I think it's really cool that you guys, you know, you have a space, safe space where you can talk about issues that you all relate to, but also the fact that you guys highlight, you know, one person's skill and like try to learn from that or, you know, just ha have fun basically. Like, I think that's really empowering not to just focus on, you know, um, yeah, things that, you know, are difficult and bother you when it relates. Mm -hmm. um, you know, things that come along with being Hafu. So I think that's really awesome. Yeah. And I think represent like seeing, yeah, like a mentorship program is really great. I think personally speaking, I guess growing up, I didn't really, I had a really, really close friend who was Hafu and my parents, I think intentionally made sure I knew someone, you know, I had someone close in my life that I could relate to in certain ways, but I know, you know my friends who um, there are, you know, of course, Hafus who don't necessarily grow up seeing people who are, you know, culturally or ethnically mm -hmm. um, the same or 
are in the similar situation as them. And I think that's really empowering. So having that type of community is, is so empowering. Yeah. So thank you for doing that work. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and um, it is interesting from, and you know, every mixed race person, every Hafu Japanese person's experience is different. And yet there are really similar um, aspects sometimes, but for me personally, um, it was just something I, I lived with when I grew when I was growing up in the United States, and it wasn't something that was so like that stuck out like a sore thumb. It was everyone, you know, a lot of people in, in the United States are mixed race, and uh, that or like I'm white passing, so I just blended in with everyone, and it was no big deal. It wasn't uh, such a topic of conversation necessarily. Um, so it was when I moved back to Japan after college at the age of 23 is when I really had to confront that. And, um, I really, really did struggle with it the first year or so year two, two years or so where I didn't find people who understood what I was going through. Um, and I felt like I had nowhere to really be able to talk about it and, um, or to really find people who I resonated with. Um, so when I discovered that there were Hafu communities, it really, it, it really felt like I found a place that I belonged. And, um, and yeah, and just, and, and I love like the greater um, co-ed groups. Like um, we also, right now it's kind of postponed, but we usually throw a monthly event for anyone called Hafu and Friends. Um, and, uh, that event, it's for guys, girls, friends of Hafu's, families of Hafu's. Um, and so it's really great to have that community as well. And to also be able to go somewhere else for girl time, you know, kind of thing, um, for the, uh, more female focused, um, um, space for people. So it's really, yeah, it's really great to have both of that. <laughs> um, so obviously you can see me. I'm not a person of half um, mixed race, but I am a first generation Indian Canadian. And so, you know, there are some similarities here. And I, I saw a quote that we had posted on our Instagram the other day um, on our stories. And I just want to read it out. Um, and then I have like a little follow-up question. It, it says reframe. And then on the top, it says, I'm stuck between two cultures and communities. I feel like I don't belong in either. And then the reframe of that idea is, I'm grateful I have the option to move between different cultures and communities. I get to choose the values and beliefs that serve me from both. And I thought this was really interesting because growing up, I always felt like, you know, when I'd go visit family in India, they'd say, oh, you're too whitewashed, you're too Canadian. And here in Canada, I wasn't really Canadian because I was white. I wasn't white, sorry. You know, I was like, you're not really, whatever I say, people say, where are you from? I'm like, I'm Canadian. Where are you really from? Well, I have oh, yeah. passport, but like, okay, if you're asking where I was born, I was born in Africa. No, but you're not Africa. I'm Indian. That's what you want to hear. I'm Indian. And I, you know, I think that idea of not fitting in, maybe it's relatable to kids who are also half. Um, and what that's like to navigate between two cultures. Did you ever struggle with that? Or do you notice that within the half community? I don't, I don't want to be like throwing out assumptions here. It's something I felt as an immigrant, but I think it could be relatable. It, I think it's really relatable. Um, I, I'm also, I guess, technically a first, uh, 
first generation immigrant in the sense, well, I guess half that, uh, in the sense that my mom emigrated from Japan to the US and I went with her. Um, and my dad is American, but he grew up in Germany and then moved to Japan. So he didn't ever really feel American either. Mm. Um, but anyway, so I remember growing up, especially in my teenage years, uh, you know, just teenage things. You're trying to fit in. You're trying to be like everyone else there. And, um, and my mom would be like, oh, like you're too Americanized. Uh, you're too American and get upset. And I remember thinking like, you brought me here, you know, I didn't have the choice and you, you, <laughs> and you're telling me I'm too American. <laughs> and like, bless her heart. I love my mom. She's, she's, she's my best friend. But like, I think it's like looking back on it now, it's so funny because that's exactly what I thought then as a teenager. It's like, I didn't choose this. Like, I didn't turn out like this. Like you made me turn out like so it, it's it is such a struggle um and um and then coming back to japan and always being told that i am japanese and taking pride in the fact that i am bicultural and bilingual it's, it's such a it's such a emphasis that my parents put on and i'm so thankful for that i'm so grateful for them because they made sure that i knew both languages and they made sure that i knew both cultures fully um and i'm it's, it's so incredible that they were able to put so much effort into that. Um, but still, coming back to Japan, because my formative years were in the United States, there are, there are obviously some ways of thinking that I have and some of my actions that are much more Western than uh, the Japanese ways of things. But because of that and feeling even more lost, I think I think a lot of Hathus can relate to the fact that they try to overcompensate for that and they actually try to act even more Japanese than a typical Japanese person to try to be accepted into this culture. So maybe maybe that is, you know, like being hyper observant and sensitive about um, little manners when you go visit someone's house. Like, oh my gosh, what omiyage, what gift to bring? Or am I doing the meishi, the business card uh, trading correctly? I need to do it more perfectly than other people to make sure that they know that I know Japanese culture because I am Japanese kind of thing. Uh, and maybe that's not for everyone. I, I've had some Hafu friends who didn't grow up here, don't speak the language, they're here for one year learning the language, and they're like, so what, I don't speak Japanese, and I grew up in the UK, that's fine, if they treat me like a foreigner, that's because I am more than a Hathu, so that's okay, so that's some people's thinking, but um, a lot of us who do go through that struggle, and um, have a hard time really figuring out where we fit in, or, or whatnot, um, yeah, it can become it can become a struggle, and uh, and especially when the pressure comes from family. You know, they're they're again same with your family, right? You're probably like, I didn't choose to move to Canada. <laughs> you brought me here. So, yeah, and it's I think, mm, yeah, but I I love that quote, and I love how it frames it reframes it because it's true. When if you have if you're lucky enough to have um, multiple places you call home or if multiple um, value cultures that value different things you can truly choose from that and maybe that goes for people who um, grow up in like a, a, a family with two religions uh, or anything really so it's really cool that I think um, to be able to have that choice a little bit of freedom 
Another question I had, and I was thinking as you were talking about, you know, how you sometimes you have to overcompensate. Have you ever also been told, um, you know, specifically because you do talk about things that are a little bit more like social activism based or social issue and justice based that, oh, well, you can think like this. You are allowed to speak out on things like this because you're not actually, like your mentality is different. You're not Japanese. You don't understand how Japanese people would, you know, why they're quiet about such issues. Have, I don't know, has your... Has that ever been something that you've experienced that like you're allowed, you're given societal grants to think certain ways because you're not fully Japanese? Mm, let me see if I got it. Um, so basically like if I think of, oh, why, why don't, for example, like, oh, shouldn't women have, you know, I don't know should women have more rights in this sense in Japan? And someone being like, well, that's Nina, that's you thinking like a Westerner, that's just not how it is in Japan. Like yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. Where it's like, you know, oh, well, but that, so my ex-boyfriend, um, he was half Japanese and he, he used to say it all the time. He used to say like, oh yeah, I can talk about women's rights, but like, then it's like a Western thing. But like my Japanese friends would say, no, but this is Japanese culture. I think that just speaks to, to be blunt, like, the fact that Japan has a really hard time changing. Um, and also um, a lot of, I think there are a lot of activists, a lot of people thinking more about social issues in Japan, but it's still not as many as in the Western countries. Um, the education system here is, is there's no critical thinking. You're taught to just analyze, uh, to, to memorize and spit it back out. And I'm, I'm sorry to say, but that, that is how a lot of the education system and that's how a lot of the society here has been taught to operate. And it is, um, you know, you could say like, oh, the Westerners shouldn't come in and try to make new policies and change the way Japan is. I agree with that. I think Japan needs to figure things out on their own uh, and change if they want to in the, it, it, or if they need to. Um, but I think people should have the power to be able to think and people should be able to have the power to think really critically about women's rights or, um, you know, gay rights or whatever it is. Um, and so I, I, I have had those times when people, when I speak up because I am very vocal and I am very, I'm always constantly just questioning things and thinking about things. Um, and I've had colleagues tell me, oh, that's just you thinking, or that's just because you grew up knowing that kind of stuff. But it's like, but these are things we could be talking about in this society. I'm talking about things that happen in Japanese society. Like, why haven't you thought about this? Why can't we talk about this kind of thing? Um, but it is, it is something, something that I sometimes struggle with. Um, so recently, um, I just, I joined uh, Voice Up Japan. Um, an advocacy leader. So I'll be talking more about these gender equality issues. Um, but even when I was thinking about that, um, you know, it's like, yes, gender equality is needed. And, it, you know, female empowerment, feminism is so important. But then when I was thinking about this in a Japanese context, I can also see how like some Japanese women just like, or like, like how things are now, which is hard for me to wrap my head around but I have to accept that that's how some people, just some women are fine with how things are now. So how can I be respectful to Japanese society and um, 
be understanding of it. At the same time, um, understand that there are some um, some women's rights issues that maybe need to be stepped up a little bit more in in Japan. I think this applies to other cultures too. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but. Yeah, I think there's a there's always a fine balance between being culturally sensitive. You know, you never want to seem like you're importing ideas from anywhere else, um, but also activating change in genuine ways, right? You don't want to say, oh, this is an idea from whatever Western country and I'm forcing it on you. You want to show that it fits within the local context, the local culture. Um, but, you know, I was having this discussion yesterday night at dinner with a friend um, and her son-in-law is married to a Japanese woman. They live in Canada, but um, we were talking just about how, you know, for a lot of Japanese women, the idea of being a housewife, you know, that's preferable. And she said, oh, like, why? Don't they want equality? And I said, well, I mean, take a look at the way Japanese men work. Look at the salaryman lifestyle. Like, uh, you know, I completely get it. Like, if I was, if my idea of equality was working like a Japanese man, I'd be like, yeah, no, fuck that. Like, I want to stay at home, too. Because, yeah, know, it's, if that is what you're looking at as the example of what equality is, that doesn't look like a good life. And that, you know, that has to, there's a lot of layers there about Japanese society, the way it's built, overarching. And so when Japanese women say, oh, no, 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 we don't want to work, that's not necessarily about them not wanting to be equal to men. That's not about their social status. That's about the way the work life and employment is set up. And there's a lot of layers to unpack there. And so I think when I first heard, same as you, when I first encountered that, oh, well, I went to, when I was at Sofia, I met a few girls who said, yeah, we're just here to find husbands. Like, we just want to get married and like, we don't want to work. I was like, what? And then, you know, I understood the culture more and I said, yeah, you know what? I probably wouldn't want to work here either if this is what, what it's like. So the more you understand the reasons behind, you know, on the face of it, it's like, oh, well, they don't care about gender equality. No, that's not it. They, you know, there's cultural reasons and there's, societal historical reasons why there are certain preferences made by certain groups and it's not always as easy as they don't give a shit about feminism it's the way that feminism is presented to them doesn't look appealing in this context and you have to work with you know what can you do within this culture and it's it, it's hard it's you know it's different and it's um it's not as easy as saying gender equality means that you have the same life as a man if the life of a man isn't great yeah. Yeah. And it's really, it's really hard to know where, where to touch first, what system needs to be fixed first in order for the other ones to follow suit. It is mind boggling to think about that because yeah, there are so, <laughs> so many great, yeah, there's so many great things about Japan. I love Japan and I, there's a reason why I see my life here for a very, very long time, but there's also so many things that could be fixed, but it's like, or could be changed, but where where do you start and what what mm. needs to be tackled first um just in the yeah um about education we've talked about employment we you know we've talked about media like there's all of these like you know one thing so is not going to change it every one of these dimensions need to change it yeah you're right like, where do you start where do you start um, um i i just had this really interesting conversation with a friend today about um how sexual harassment you know, now, because it's such a huge topic in Japan that there are more um, at-work at uh, workshops around sexual harassment and dealing with that and whatnot. But in, 
the Japanese term sekuhara mm. encompasses so much as sexual harassment. I think they 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 even take things as like someone saying good morning to a female colleague as like sekuhara. But um I don't know. It's just like they think it's like such an extreme thing. At the same time, they think everything is sexual. It's like there's no like there's no like separation between just like workplace disrespect and harassment, which is still something that should be punished. Uh, but like harassment versus like sexual harassment. I don't know if that's making sense. But um, like the the there's no in between. Like there's no separation of everything. Like everything that's harassment against a woman for some reason, has been put in this one bin of sexual harassment. And so people kind of don't know how to wrap their heads around it. Men don't know how to wrap their heads around it in Japan. And I've heard a lot of men joke about it, which is, like, so gross. But, like, they don't know how else to deal with it because they still don't understand it fully. Um, and if those kinds of things are happening, then, yeah, I can, I can see why a woman does, wouldn't feel comfortable being in a workplace or like choose to be a housewife where they can like go to lunch with their friends and just do like domestic stuff and take care of the kids like I could see myself choosing that as well you know yeah yeah just the way the the workplace is set up for a woman is just not realistic if you want to have a family have kids and you know it's just not possible like Farine said there's just so many layers and you can't just judge you know um can't like you know like there are a lot of people who say you know japan's a you know it's japan's horrible when it comes to gender equality and that's true but there is so much to it you know um i was gonna say i think the more i've learned about japan the more i've realized japan's not so great to its men either like yeah japan's shit to its women but it's not so great to its men Mm -hmm. japan exploits i agree what i've learned is japan exploits everyone to different extents yes but yeah japan exploits everyone and, and and not that not, I mean, that's a feature of capitalism, right? Like every capitalist country exploits everyone, but in a much more insidious way in Japan. Yeah, um, no, I agree for sure. I think there there is a lot of pressure on men from the society as well. The mm-hmm. amount they have to work. Um, I think, it, I don't know. I, I um, Yeah, there's a lot more that could be done for women, obviously, but. I can see why the men fall into patterns that they do here or how they're stressed or I don't know. It is, it is not a very kind society in some ways to people, especially in working in big cities and big corporations, perhaps maybe that's being mean, but <laughs> or I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that, you know, you're being, mean. I agree with you. That's what I meant. Yeah. But, you know, there's there's these pockets and like, I think maybe it'll be nice to end on a nice note like this. But there are so many pockets like half ladies, like these communities that you see change, like genuine change happening in. And like you can see how the mentality is changing. You can like it looks bright just to know that these kinds of communities exist where mentorship is happening, where there's community building, where there's advocacy. The fact that these exist, you know. It, it points to a changing direction and it points to the fact that like there's alternative discourses, right? It's not, it's not all, it's not an all totalizing force of oppression. There, there's dissent within it. There's change within it. And, you know, if there's multiple groups like this that are happening, 
then um, I feel like it means that change is on the horizon. That was really fuck. I hate that I said that. That sounded really deep and metaphorical. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. no, you're right though. No? Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing is there are, there definitely are so many pockets of incredible communities um, in, within the international community, within the Japanese community, but there's not enough cross-pollination right now which I think there's a lot of opportunity for. There are so many communities for international foreign women or whatnot, expat women in Japan. Um, I think there are a lot of communities for women, Japanese women who are internationally minded. Some do find each other, but there's not a lot of collaboration going on between the multitude of communities that exist all over Japan, all over the world. Um, and I think that's, that there's so much opportunity there. And I really hope that people start conversing more with each other um, and to be able to find those groups and to work together. Um, yeah, and, and maybe, you know, Half the Ladies is a little bit of that sort of thing as well. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I have said from a very young age that if I can make a positive change in one person's life, that's like, that's all I need in accomplishing my life. And through this community, I've seen people open up. I've seen people cry because they finally found a place that they they can call home and community. I've seen so much of that happening. And it's like not just one person. I'm, I'm able to help uh, be a catalyst in making that change by creating this community. So it's been such a joy to see that. Um, I think there's such a, I think the, the point of it is it, there's so much importance in communities there's so much importance in finding ones that people can resonate with and support each other and i think people don't under some people don't even understand that they need it until they find it this idea of cross-pollination is, is something i really value and you know if you look at half the ladies like as a, as a small community it is a an example of cross-pollination like that's exactly what being half is right it, it's cross-pollination not to be rude but it is <laughs> literally and yeah, it's literally yeah. cross-pollination and then if you if you take that as a model for how wider society should interact with each other you know i always i quite often put myself as everyone knows there's multiple different brackets of feminism i quite often view myself as you know an intersectional and transnational feminist i think there's so much people can learn from each other, different feminists can learn from each other. And this is not about, you know, West going into other countries and putting their values. There. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about genuine cross-pollination, like genuine sharing of ideas and dialogue. And, you know, we did this in my country and it really worked. We did this in my city and you're an hour away. Maybe it won't work for you, but maybe it will. And just that mm -hmm. the, the genuine changes that can happen when communities come together and talk to each other and learn from each other is something that I get really excited about. Like, to me, it's the future of change is as like a global community, even if we start with a small group, the, the cross pollinations that happen are going to lead to, to better solutions because there'll be more, the solutions will be more diverse, right? If there's dialogue, yeah. the solutions will be able to encompass difference. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that, that, that is exactly what I think we are starting to see more of and is, has to be the future, especially with globalization. Like 
and I don't know, it's just everything's so interconnected and like the, there's nothing, there, there's so much more wealth in sharing ideas and coming up with solutions together than to keep those from each other. So yeah, I really hope that, yeah, more of that can happen. Um, it's, it's really cool because being a leader of this community, um, I'm friends with a lot of other people who are leaders of other communities, not just Hafu related, but, uh, women's circles or whatnot. And to be able to talk with them, um, as fellow leaders, as fellow female leaders has been so inspirational and so powerful because we do share so many ideas together and find ways places where we can collaborate um and and it's just like it's just so awesome how what you can do and more people come together so that's super cheesy too but so true (laughs) we have a cheesy little wholesome bit right here (laughs) (laughs) it's true um, did you want to add any other points before we start wrapping up? Like, please feel free. There's, yeah. Mm, I think, I think that's all the things that I, I have to talk about. Um, I don't know if are there are any other things that you guys want to touch on. Any question? Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, like, have you read any good books about, um, or it doesn't have to be a book, but um, have you found any good resources about, um, I guess, you know, that does into half of identity and things like that? Um, yeah, so I'm actually trying to educate myself more in this as well. Um, uh, and actually, in our, in our community, we started an academic reading circle that happens once a month now. Um, so last month, uh, because of all the um, racial issues that have been going on and, and continue to happen, continue to um, happen, we focused on um, some academic reading around that, which was really interesting. Um, we read, um, I can't remember what it was called, but we read an, an academic paper about being a black hafu woman in Japan and in the United States, which is written by um, Mitzi Carter. And um, we were so lucky that she is part of our community. So she hopped on the Zoom with us to be able to have this conversation with us. And it was just so awesome to be able to read this story. Oh, here, I think I have it. So it's this, it's called um, A Critical Review of Academic Perspectives on Blackness in Japan. And so it's written by Mitzi Carter and Ina Hunter, um, but talked about their life um, and just how black women, black half Japanese women were and are viewed in um, Japanese society. So yeah, I'm hoping to find, and I know there are a lot of like other papers like that out there, a lot of research on this topic. Um, so I'm just trying to educate myself more and uh, hear about other people's stories. Um, I myself am uh, looking to go back to school um, and and will have aspects of my education that that is around Japanese identity. Um, I'm really interested in doing research in the future as well for my, for 
to for the community as well so yeah there's a lot of ideas um yeah there's also a lot of books out there um i'm a really slow reader i um there's a book called i think half half and half i think um and a lot of books about being mixed race in the united states not specifically not all about being half japanese or anything um mm -hmm. but yeah and then there's some uh there's quite a few good books in japanese as well um i am not strong enough to read them um but i really feel like even if i'm really slow at it i need to try because i think it's really important to read publications in japanese about this topic as well mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah there's kind of nuances as well yeah exactly there's a really good yeah. blogger um who writes about being hafu um i would highly recommend sandra um i can't pronounce her last name but uh she she writes all her blog posts in japanese and it's around uh being japanese um she's written a few books about um like kind of like things like the struggles of being um fetishized japanese hafu uh, and things like that so yeah there's there's a lot there's too many <laughs> yeah there's there's so much right yeah thank you so much for sharing those i'll try to link those um in the description if possible i actually i just wanted to add um i mean i yeah i would love to read all those um Last year when I was at uni, I read this book called, um, it's called Interracial Intimacy in Japan, Western Men and Japanese Women, 1543 to 1900s. And have, have you read it? It's, no. It's by Loop. I and, need to um, read it. I found this to be really interesting. And I mean, I guess this, you know, this also is very kind of um, a little western centric or you know it still talks mainly about relationships between white men and japanese mm -hmm. women so encompass everything that we've talked about at all but um it was really eye-opening in the sense that it talked about how a lot of the times the this notion of race wasn't it wasn't as established as is now so mm -hmm. this idea of like being half it wasn't as kind of like seen as you know oh like you're not japanese um and he gives yeah examples of um specific individuals and certain relationships between um merchants who were living in dijima foreign mm -hmm. merchants who are living in dijima that were english um danish and between them the relationship with um japanese um prostitutes and courtesans mm -hmm. as well so that's very really interesting. interesting. So I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, I, I need <laughs> but to. But yeah, it's, I think that, yeah, that made me realize that I think I tend to think Hafu as a relatively like post-World War II phenomenon before. And it made me realize like it's, it's you know, <laughs> Hafus obviously have existed for a while, but specifically, you know, Japanese and um, for mix. Um, individuals have always of course not always but it's there's a longer history to that to it than we often assume I think yeah and definitely definitely and when you start digging deeper into that it's so interesting like even looking at 
Nagasaki, for example, which was one of the first ports that opened. And so they had a lot of Dutch people, a lot of Hafus that were born out of that um, way, way, you know, longer than before than uh, the war. Um, and at the same time, because Japan is this island nation that was closed off for so long from the rest of the world, um, it, it didn't, it, it's not as mixed as some other nations or have that history. So I think, yeah, it's, it is, it has, it has been existing here, but in a very different way and not as still, unfortunately not normalized, I guess, mm-hmm. um, as some other, I guess, colonized places and whatnot but um yeah but yeah it is really cool to dig deep um i love traveling around japan and then finding out about like a a, like a western person who moved there in the 1600s or something and i'm like what that's so cool and then read about them yeah (laughs) i love that (laughs) there's quite a large japanese diaspora in brazil right or um, yeah. Yeah. And, and again, like, I think um, this could be a whole other topic, but there's this idea that, you know, Japan is such a homogenous country and there's no racial diversity, yet there are these huge diasporas in places like Brazil um, where there is that, that cross pollination that's like, you know, halfus come out of it. And there, there's so many halfus in this idea that Japan is just, just Japanese like is mind boggling to me because like, as you both just said, there's historical precedents where this isn't just a world war two post world war two phenomenon. Like Japan has mm-hmm. never been just Japanese and there's all, yeah, I knew it. I'm not going to get into it, but you know, like <laughs> there. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, yeah. We talked about it in the last event you guys did with uh, Yurika. Yurika. Was that her name? Yeah. And like how technically on paper, I think Japan is like 99% or like 95% or something Japanese but that's because they don't take into account all these other people who actually live here who um who make a life here and yet aren't counted in these statistics like Zainichi or Hathus who secretly or not told two passports and you know um all those people that and the indigenous folks um, there are so many people who are completely left out of uh, those statistics and the social and political side of Japan, which is so, that's why there's no, not a lot more representation in politics, for example, because they don't have the voice, they don't have the platform, and they're not granted the platform in Japan, which is a whole nother topic too, that needs to be addressed and there needs to be change in Japan otherwise it's I mean otherwise Japan's gonna die and yeah. that's shogun like you got a declining birth oh. rate here honey you got to bring people in from somewhere like what do you want us to do yeah, yeah exactly exactly but thank you so much Nina for joining us today um before we leave is there can you give us some, the listeners some more details on like where they can find Half a Ladies, um, how they can get involved if they want to get involved? Uh, you can give your Instagram, your yeah. Facebook page, etc. And we'll put it all in the show notes too, guys. But yeah. Yeah. So right now our um, community is on Facebook and it's called Hafu Ladies Community. We also have a public page, um, which is just facebook.com uh, backslash Hafu Ladies. 
so people can follow along with news that we post about um, updates on events and whatnot. Um, and we have an Instagram as well, which is also Haku Ladies. And yeah, and we're hoping that we will have a website um, in the coming months, uh, so that so that it the community and um, everything is also so that we can make it accessible off of Facebook and uh, social media. Um, yeah, but uh, please join us. <laughs> Do you guys have any upcoming events you want to flag or anything, or is anything that's booked already, or still stuff working in the process? Right now, we're kind of taking a little bit of a break, um, but we do have some exciting um, talks. We have some things that we're in the midst of talking about. Um, so keep an eye out for possibly some musical events and some uh, more academic events and um, yeah, and more panel discussions. Oh, that's such a diverse range of things. Like I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to happen. I'm not a happy, but you know, I yeah. just watch from afar and be excited. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Hopefully we can do some events that can be more shared with uh, outside of our community because that again is the, is the goal is to have this safe space, but for people to feel empowered enough to be able to speak up and to be able to interact with people who are outside of our community. Um, goes back to, I guess, cross-pollination, goes back to just people interacting with people more and inter intercultural communication. So hopefully that can happen. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's It's been such a pleasure. It's, it's awesome to be able to talk to fellow women, first off. Um, I think it's my first podcast with women no but thank you thank you for creating a safe space um and thank you to all the listeners for listening please make sure to check out half the ladies on facebook and instagram um and you know get involved and if you're not half maybe you know someone who is half who can get involved and you can still support the community either way please follow super smash Hose on instagram and you can check out our website at supersmashhosemedia.com thanks